I'm Jessica Denson, and this is Lights On. Donald Trump deleted that threat of death and destruction over his likely impending indictment by Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg, calling the post, um, doing this right after a just days of threats. He had called Alvin Bragg a degenerate psychopath after reposting a photo of himself holding a baseball bat next to a photo of Bragg. And just hours ago, we learned that the white that white powder and a death threat addressed to Alvin was found at the DA's offices. Let us be clear, Donald Trump is a domestic terrorist. He is inviting and inciting violence. He's committing more crimes of, of obstruction in plain sight. This is the result of decades of impunity, and it has to stop now. Speaking of obstruction, today, Trump's lawyer Evan Corcoran testified for over three hours before a grand jury and special counsel Jack Smith's probe of the Trump Mar-a-Lago document scandal. This comes after the appeals process progressed at lightning speed earlier this week. The court sided with the DOJ, citing evidence of a criminal scheme and piercing Trump's attorney-client privilege with the crime-fraud exception. Corcoran has also been ordered to turn, turn over his communications notes and audio recordings with Trump about the apparent mishandling of classified documents and obstruction of justice. <sighs> and because being a lawyer for Trump makes you a criminal attorney one day and a witness to a crime the next, that same Evan Corcoran was in court this week fighting Jack Smith's subpoena for former Vice President Mike Pence. Corcoran claims that stale old executive privilege argument prohibits Pence from testifying to parts of Smith's investi investigation into January 6th. Meanwhile, the poor excuse for a Christian and wavering wannabe next president, Mike Pence, th thinks he can bow out of this one because he was actually, wait for it, a senator. Who knew? Uh, I have a feeling Mike Pence will be following Evan Corcoran into that grand jury room before you know it. And in breaking developments, the number one key witness to Trump's attempts to overturn the election, former Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, will likely be joining the procession of witnesses. A judge has rejected Trump's effort to bar the grand jury testimony of Meadows based on executive privilege and has also ordered that other top aides, including Stephen Miller and Dan Scavino, must provide testimony. Now, you, if you're watching this and know me, know that I know a thing or two about Trump's attempts to silence and intimidate and obstruct justice. And the Manhattan case is all about a non-disclosure agreement, which has gotten me thinking about my NDA battle, which of course I won, and how this pattern of intimidation is all connected. Don't let anyone tell you that gagging people to obtain or keep presidential power is a minor offense. This is no trivial matter. It's huge. So we're going to talk a lot more about that. And speaking of censorship, this is this is a story that I, I really can't wait to share with you. Um, but speaking of censor censorship, the fascist friendly GOP is in lockstep on everything with Trump. They want you to believe they're the champions of free speech, champions of freedom, but the truth is that they're trying to silence anything that exposes them. They're banning books at an alarming rate so they can whitewash the oppression of history and get away with it again. There is one brilliant young woman of 100 years calling them out in Florida, and you better believe I wanna shine a light on her. On her. 
Got a lot. I'm so excited to be back with you and um, my friend Midas Touch founder, Ben Mycellus, you all inspired me so much after last week. So let's do it again. Let's turn the lights on. Well, it's good to be here, Jessica. I got my suit jacket on, which I will only do for the Jessica Denson Lights On show. The first episode was such a smashing success. I think the cumulative views and you know both the audio downloads and the views came very close to 200,000, which is a great inaugural episode. And when you put that in perspective, that is very similar to the types of ratings that you know some shows on CNN and MSNBC and Fox are getting, and it's certainly far uh, greater share of audience than some of these other right-wing echo chamber uh, media is getting, like uh, Newsmax and uh, whatever these other uh, entities are. And I want to say this too. You know, I don't know if you've been following this, uh, but you know, Directv brought back Newsmax on their on their network on their device and when they did this they said that it was and I, this is a direct quote from them part of their promotion of the diversity of viewpoints and i want to say this as we talk about disinformation look newsmax is purely injecting disinformation into the veins of its viewers and not only that but it's not even doing it successfully. I mean, it has very low viewership. It's not profitable. But here you see just an example of what happens when the Republicans are truly weaponizing government because the House of Representatives th threatened DirecTV. Now DirecTV is using diversity of viewpoints as the reason of bringing Newsmax back. And why I bring that up at the top of the show is when I think about lights on, when I think about transparency, when I think about everything that you do here at the Midas Touch Network and in your life outside of the Midas Touch Network, it is about bringing light to these situations, which is the antidote to those disinformation echo chambers. So that's my spiel at the beginning, and it is an honor to co-host this with you. Thanks so much, Ben. Thanks so much, Ben, for coming back with me. Um, let's just get right into this. I mean, this, this has really kind of infuriated me all over again, the notion that Donald Trump is a free man. I can't, I think we can't ever cease to forget how obscene this is, that this man is not already, has not already been arrested or prosecuted for one of his litany of crimes. Because of this impunity, he's out with these threats. We were talking about this baseball bat uh, photograph, Salty, if you can put it up again, that this man is clearly inciting violence. I think we found out just before we came on air that he has now deleted this. And I was mentioning to you, Brett, or Ben and Salty, how this feels like, it feels like January 6th all over again, inciting violence, and he's going to pull it back and try to, um, you know, maybe cover a little of his tracks because we're already into a discussion today of how this may be yet another crime. He's threatened overnight death and destruction, calling, calling Alvin Bragg a degenerate 
psychopath that truly hates the USA. Let's be clear, those enforcing the rule of law and holding repeat criminal offenders like Donald Trump accountable for their crimes love the USA. They are, this is, justice is an, a labor of love. And I can say that as one who has pursued justice. It is absolutely a labor of love. So how dare he call out these prosecutors that are that are taking these brave and needed steps finally as people that hate the United States. Um, the, the real hatred here is Donald Trump's hatred for himself. And he's gonna have the greatest gift that none of his so-called friends or sycophants have ever been willing to give him when a criminal indictment finally comes down against him. So he can finally face the truth and learn a little bit, little bit about who he is. This will be an act of love even to Donald Trump. So how dare he cast it as hatred? This is healing and peace, like I have said so many times. But speaking of the threats, um, Ben, I'd love to get your opinion on this. I, I know that um, Midas Touch tweeted this earlier, and Karen has Karen Friedman Agnifilo, uh, former Manhattan DA, second in command there, has been talking about how he may have incite, uh, committed another crime because he is obstructing this prosecutorial proceeding. I think that um, you referenced obstructing governmental administration, which is, um, is this in the state penal law, Ben? Correct. And so Karen and I had a debate. I would much more uh, readily trust Karen's expertise here over my own under the New York penal law. Uh, but I think that it's fair to say that there could have been multiple criminal violations here that took place. The one that Karen is citing, inciting a riot, New York penal law 240.08, which says a person is guilty of inciting to riot when he urges 10 or more persons to engage in tumultuous and violent conduct of a kind likely to create public alarm. And then the law that I cited, which I thought is also in play, and even though Karen thinks that she would charge it um, as an inciting to riot first, I still think that I could be right here on obstructing governmental administration in the second degree. So New York doesn't have an obstruction of justice statute. They have what's called obstructing governmental administration in the second degree. And just let me read for you what it says, because to me, it's directly on point. It says the specify count, you have to specify it, is obstructing governmental administration in the second degree. Under our law, a person is guilty of obstructing governmental administration in the second degree when that person intentionally obstructs, impairs, or perverts the administration of law or other government function or prevents to prevents or attempts to prevent a public servant from performing an official function. You don't actually have to succeed in preventing the public servant from performing uh, that function. Just the act and attempt to is enough under that penal law statute, section 195.05. And then one of the appropriate alternatives, one of the ways that could be brought about is by means of intimidation, physical force, or interference, or by means of any independently unlawful act. And um, Jessica, we go through uh, the summary that you just gave. And one of the things that Donald Trump said in his post is, why should we be peaceful? Um, he called Alvin Bragg scum. He called Alvin Bragg an animal. 
Um, he called for death and destruction. He posted a photo of himself with a baseball bat depicting himself clubbing Alvin Bragg. He said that the people are not going to take it anymore. He called Alvin Bragg a degenerate psychopath. To me, you add all of those elements together, and if I'm giving the closing argument to the jury the way I just presented it to you right now, you hit every single element. And look, I I don't think this is the reason why the grand jury uh, went into next week. I just think that they just needed to go into next week because of the preparations that are going to be needed. And I, I think that's it. I think it's a fairly simple explanation. And I do think he gets criminally indicted next week. Um, but I do wonder if some of these independent uh, or additional crimes will be charged because it seems to perfectly fit the disgusting and criminal conduct that Trump's engaged in. It's all a pattern, isn't it? Isn't I, I was thinking, <laughs> I was thinking if we ever, God help us, have a have a Trump presidential library. I think they should just call it the obstruction of justice library. Pretty much defines this whole man, this man's entire life, his presidency. Um, it, it's it's going on and on. I remember walking, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this later. But I remember walking past uh, Congressman Raja Krishnamurthy um, on Capitol Hill. I was there at the Mueller hearing. And of course, the Mueller investigation was all about obstruction of justice, of Trump's continued threats against witnesses, his, his, his interference into that probe. And um, Raja Krishnamurthy had um, spoken about my case that I brought about these non-disclosure agreements, which again are, were are attempts to in silence and intimidate. And um, he had brought it up during Michael Cohen's congressional hearing and said, do you recognize these NDAs? Do you agree that they're they're used to keep people from coming forward? And Michael said, yes. And I told <laughs> Congressman Krishnamurthy in the halls of Congress, I said, it's all the same. We're all dealing with this obstruction of justice from Trump. I mean, it seems like there are these individual situations, but that's what this is. It's, it's a criminal who's con uh, engaging in more obstruction upon obstruction upon obstruction to keep himself from being held accountable. This has to end. These are the consequences of impunity. So I hope, I hope if there is a crime to be brought, just like with all of them, we want we want the charges brought not because we hate Trump, not because he's our political enemy, but because he has committed crimes. <laughs> because there's supposed to be equal justice under the law. So if Trump has has committed additional crimes by these threats, then let the appropriate charges follow. Um, there's that about it. Look, one of the things, and one of the things though that's so unprecedented about this modern moment, though is that you know during the the nixon moment you know, there was still some objective reality right that engaging in the conduct that nixon engaged in was bad right and we're living in this kind of post-truth republican maga party where they look at the conduct that trump is engaged in and not only are they um, uh, not saying anything to stop it. They are supportive of it, you know, or, or, or they're just cowardly. I don't know if you saw this bit. So Jim Jordan was asked about Donald Trump's statement by a reporter 
uh, earlier in the day about the death and destruction. Um, and Jim Jordan said, I, I haven't read it. I, I haven't read it. So the reporter says, let me show it to you. And the reporter puts up his phone and uh, shows Jim Jordan the statement. And then Jim Jordan goes, I, I can't see I can't it. I need, see it. I need glasses. I need to wear glasses. And then the reporter's like, let me read it for you. And then when the reporter then read it for Jim Jordan, Jim Jordan said, look, I'm just too busy responding to the letter we, the letter we received from Alvin Bragg. And, and that just kind of defines who the MAGA Republican Party is today. I want to ask you one question, though, Jessica, as well. Speaking of this MAGA Republican Party, though, I don't know if you saw this, but the MAGA Republicans today sent a congressional delegation into the January 6th wing of the DC jail. So they use the House of Representatives congressional delegation, which is so prestigious, right? We think about congressional delegations going to, you know, visit our allies and to promote democracy and, and talk about our shared values. Their first big congressional delegation was sent to the D.C. jail to then they brought the January 6th insurrectionists in to an open room. And according to the Democrats who were there, the MAGA Republicans were like high fiving them and treating them like they were heroes and celebrities. You don't get much more disgusting than that. It's disgusting. And you think about that in the context of, first of all, they're they're doing all of these performative acts just to score political points, right? They don't really believe that the January 6th defendants have not committed crimes. They know that they trespassed into a federal building, uh, committed, um, you know, vandalism, whatever they're charged with. These are, these are actual crimes that if you commit them anywhere in this country, you will be charged. There is nothing unique about the charges or politically driven about the charges against these January defendants and Jim Jordan and Andy Biggs and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert and all of these clowns know that they know it for a fact and you better believe that if somebody on the left somebody may be at a social justice rally or um you know protesting the unlawful killing of a black man was uh charged with um vandalizing a federal building or entering without um trespassing that they wouldn't be showing up at their prison it's calling them political prisoners and that's what makes me so sick that first of all that they're using these individuals who really are victims of Donald Trump. That's the why. That's why they're in prison because Donald Trump has converted them into criminals for to do his bidding to take the heat for him. And on on the other hand, you have so much injustice in this country from people who really have, um, you know, been victims of maybe where our cr criminal justice system has failed, people who have been wrongly wrongfully convicted, people who have been put to death for crimes that they didn't commit, people who have, I think of a young man in New York who committed suicide in a jail just waiting for a charge. And you think of all of these heinous instances of of injustice where our system has failed and the failure of due process which let's be clear all of these january 6th defendants are getting they are getting their due process they are not being treated like any political prisoners i'll remind you of vladimir karamurza who who survived two poisoning attempts and is sitting in a in a russian prison along with alexei navalny and so many others those are political prisoners. Once again, let's make the distinction. But to, to use this for a show, to score political points, it's so, so disgusting when we, it's all, 
It's all just to protect their dear leader and to not let the people just see the truth that this is the exercise of the rule of law. It happens to be the people on their side. Do they distance themselves from them? Do they condemn them? No, they continue to use them to just amass and retain more political power and incite more terrorism. It's absolutely despicable. Couldn't agree more with you, uh, Jessica. And, And that's why we, though, we need our government. We need uh, the people in power uh, to continue down this path to pursue the ends of justice as as difficult as as that may be. You know, these threats, these intimidate, I mean, it's, it's, it has real world consequences. I mean, today um, in the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, there have been multiple death threats, including uh, a death threat where a letter was sent to Alvin Bragg saying, um, I'm going to kill you, Alvin, with a white powder substance that was uh, contained uh, in the letter. Fortunately, it turned out to be harmless. And that's in addition to there was several bomb threats that were made at the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, as well as in the uh, courthouse. Um, which was traced to Russian IP addresses as well, some of those bomb threats. And so when Donald Trump is making this call, when he is sounding uh, you know, these threats to his cult followers, they, they are listening the same way they were listening during the January 6th insurrection. And you know, one point I'd make there as well um, is that you know, federal judge in in New York, uh, Judge Lewis Kaplan, uh, for this reason in the E. Jean Carroll uh, defamation and civil rape case, which is set to go to trial on April 25th, this federal judge has ordered an anonymous jury. Now, normally an anonymous jury is reserved in the most rare circumstances when we're talking about like cartel leaders, like in El Chapo's trial, right? And here, Judge Kaplan is treating Donald Trump like El Chapo and saying that, and and wrote in the order that Donald Trump has been known to threaten judges, prosecutors, and jurors, and has been engaged in the conduct of late. And so the judge ordered an anonymous jury, which is so rare, essentially treating Donald Trump like the uh, mafia cartel leader uh, that he is. And I do this. There's been a lot of great updates this week, too, though. And I want to hear from you on the Jack Smith great updates as well. But, you know, e- even great updates like Donald Trump tried to delay the trial, um, uh, the civil uh, fraud trial by Letitia James, a New York attorney general. That's set to go to trial October 2nd, 2023. And there, the New York attorney general, she's seeking at least $250 million in damages against Donald Trump and his adult children. Trump tried to delay that for six months. And Justice Arthur and Goran said, absolutely not. It's etched in stone. You're going to trial on this date. And so all of this is happening everywhere, all at once. But We'd love to hear from you about special counsel Jack Smith and some of the great updates there. Yeah. Why don't we talk about um, Evan Corcoran, right? Uh, Donald Trump's attorney who was was before the grand jury today as a result of being ordered to testify. This is, of course, 
piercing the um, attorney-client privilege with the crime fraud exception. Chief Judge Beryl Howell, who's the outgoing chief judge in, in the U.S. District Court in Washington, D.C., found sufficient evidence, quote, sufficient evidence that Trump, quote, intentionally concealed uh, additional classified documents from Corcoran um, regarding that June uh, 22 affidavit and she described it as a criminal scheme. So this is this is extremely significant that Evan Corcoran was before the grand jury today. Um, I know that prosecutors were especially interested in a phone call that happened on June 24th, 2022 between Corcoran and Trump. This is around the time when investigators were seeking more documents and the surveillance tapes from Mar-a-Lago. So um, this is this this you were following it, I'm sure, Ben, but you know this progressed at lightning speed this week. I think there was a there was a deadline that um, something had to be filed by midnight by Trump's team, and then Jack Smith's team had to respond by 6 a.m. They had to pull an all-nighter to respond by this, and the result was I, that- I hadn't seen the Court of Appeals move that quickly ever. So something big is going on. So at the yeah. end of last week, federal judge Beryl Howell ruled that the crime fraud exception applied. Thus, Evan Corcoran could not claim the attorney-client privilege regarding his communications with Donald Trump about Trump's efforts to obstruct justice when Trump stole these thousands of records that he concealed at Mar-a-Lago. So then Donald Trump, middle of the week, appealed that to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals said, we want we'll, we'll listen to your briefing, but we got to brief this in 12 hours. Listen to the briefing in 12 hours, immediately rejected Donald Trump's uh, appeal, affirmed Judge Beryl Howell's ruling. And that's why on Friday, Evan Corcoran and another lawyer named Jennifer Little were yes. going to have to testify before the grand jury, not only testify, but also turn over notes, written communications, and audio, audio recordings. That's, that's big. Yeah, it's huge, huge. And this Jennifer Little, Jennifer Little apparently is um, represents Trump in the Fulton County probe. I don't think it's entirely clear how she got tied up in the Mar-a-Lago case. But um, yeah, make attorneys get attorneys, right? <laughs> Trump attorneys testifying to Trump's criminality. And and they're not the only ones. I, I'm sure you heard about this too, Ben. Um, Jack Smith, not only fighting to bring Evan Corcoran in to testify, but arguing, Jack Smith's lawyers arguing against Evan Corcoran, who is trying to invoke, once again, executive privilege to block Vice President, ex-Vice President Mike Pence's testimony. Um, of, of course, Pence has his own, has conjured up his own dubious argument that uh, the speech and debate clause prohibits him from having to testify because he was a senator. So, um, so that fight played out in court this week too. I think a lot of um, uh, legal speculators have have acknowledged that he may very well lose this fight and end up having to testify before the grand jury. Do you remember uh, Ben from the January sex hearings, Judge Ludig, the conservative uh, Judge Ludig? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a Judge Ludig is a real conservative who yes. MAGA Republicans would now call a rhino. But I, I definitely remember that moment. Which part? 
Oh my God. Well, I just love the man so much. He was, he was kind of mocked a little bit for speaking slowly. I think he was recovering from something, but I think Judge Luddig is an absolute legend. And as this, this was playing out this week with Mike Pence, I was reminded of um, an op-ed that, that Judge Luddig wrote when, when, uh, Mike Pence started to raise these dubious arguments. I was going to read a portion of it just because I think it, it, it gets right to the heart of the matter. He said, to be clear, Mr. Pence's decision to brand the Department of Justice's perfectly legitimate subpoena as unconstitutional is a far cry from the constitutionally hallowed ground on which he stood on January 6th. Injecting campaign-style politics into the criminal investigatory process with his rhetorical characterization of Mr. Smith's subpoena as a, quote, Biden DOJ subpoena, Mr. Pence is trying to score points with voters who want to see President Biden unseated in 2024. Well enough, that's what politicians do. But Jack Smith's subpoena was neither politically motivated nor designed to strengthen President Biden's political hand in 2024. Thus, the jarring dissonance between the subpoena and Mr. Pence's characterization of it. It is Mr. Pence who has chosen to politicize the subpoena, not the DOJ. And of course, you can probably apply that logic to everything that is going on. It is the Republicans, it is Trump, his acolytes, his sycophants who have politicized this process, not the rule of law playing out. That is not the political you know, Jessica, it's, so it's, it's, it's such a great point. It's so strange, too, that like you would think that we all as Americans can look at something like the insurrection and insurrectionists to look at terrorists and all come together as a nation, whether you're a Democrat, Republican, independent, not affiliated with any political party, and say, that is bad. Same thing when it comes to a global pandemic. I mean, whether you are a Democrat, whether you are a Republican, independent, not affiliated with the political party, we could look at a pandemic, a deadly, deadly pandemic, where we see the death it wreaks and we can go bad. Yet it's not Democrats who are politicizing. And I'm sorry, it's not a both sides issue. It is MAGA Republicans who are looking at things. By, by the way, free and fair elections. MAGA Republicans don't believe in that. They got to come up with a conspiracy theory that secret algorithms are beamed from underground bunkers to outer space, that Hugo Chavez bodies resurrected, and somehow that changes votes from Dominion so that Biden wins. I mean, we should look at these objective realities. Pandemics are bad. Insurrections are bad. We believe in free and fair elections, yet you have MAGA Republicans on all of these issues taking the lights off approach to it and really proving that it is a death cult. That now, it not is only a death cult. Not only that they're bad, but that, that there are issues that we should be working together to resolve. I mean, you look at something like COVID. This is, I re remember we had that, I remember when COVID started, there was like a week or two of this deep collective introspection. Maybe it wasn't even a week or two. Maybe I'm giving it much more time than it actually lasted. But 
to me, it was it was a time where we really need to think we needed to think about how we were treating each other, how we were treating the environment, the animals. I mean, I'm an animal lover. I happen to think it's much more likely that this was a result. It's possible that it came from a lab, but I think it's much more likely that it came from that Wuhan um, meat market. And and it just all goes to how we're treating each other's treating the world that we live in. This was such an opportunity for introspection and empathy and what realizing that how we treat one another can have massive impact on our global collective well-being and instead of taking that moment of reflection the republicans pounced on it and politicized it donald trump he got into the um what what were the uh, he got into the medical machinery business with jared kushner he was trying to you know auction off who to the greatest bidder the, the medical supplies in the midst of this crisis it was so disgusting and then he had his daily trump show briefing he was like apprentice 2.0 the daily briefings for covid it, 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 these were opportunities all those things that you're describing even you know the domestic terrorism look back to 9-11 with when we had terrorism this this threat of terrorism had the country united this should be a, a point where the country unites like that tiny brief moment of clarity that even people like kevin mccarthy had after january 6th the fact that they moved from that point is insane it's insane that they have tried to contort themselves into political pretzels to defend this man and continue down this narrative. These should be points of unity. And, you know, I think back, Ben, to when to when I was on that side of, of politics and when I listened to the Fox News of the world and they would always make you feel like the Democrats who were telling you other narratives, which I would argue now were usually the truthful ones, usually the factually supported ones, that those Democrats were against you. They're, they're your enemies. When in fact, those Democrats' narratives were really just trying to help you. They're just trying to help you. They're not against you. And I think about that now. I think about, um, you know, when I share with others, uh, try to kind of help some people that where I see a window of opportunity to, to help people out of the Fox News bubble, if I meet people like this in, in, in my experience now, to understand we're, we're not against you. They're using you, they're against you. This is, this is, they're trying to pit us against each other, but we really all want the same things. We really all just want health and prosperity and freedom. We're, we're all after the same objectives. And the ones that are trying to, to pitch you against each other, they're the enemies. Realize that. They're the dividers. That's why that age-old uh, cliche, divide and conquer, this is, this is the MO of people who just want power and do not want to bring about greater good. Jessica, what was the moment for you? And we're going a little off script here, but lights on, we can go off script because I think it is helpful for a lot of people to know, you know, your background and through these podcasts, you know, I think little by little people will also get to learn a lot about you and what an incredible person you are. If they haven't already heard some of the podcasts that we've done where we've where we featured your story. But you, you were a Republican. You did work for the Trump campaign for a very short period of time leading up to the 2016. You got out of it very quickly, but you were stuck in the Fox bubble. And what was so interesting when I first met you, too, 
is that we learned that we have, you and I have so much in common that you and I never realized. We both went to George Washington University together. We were both at a lot of the same events together and probably saw each other, but just never even said hello to each other. But we were- We may have it, looked quite different at the time. We might not <laughs> have even known if we saw each other, right? <laughs> but we went to, yeah, we went to the same college. We graduated the same year together. Um, and then we all, we both kind of took different paths. Um, and then ultimately, though, one of the paths led you into the Fox bubble, um, but you had a realization. So uh, can you maybe let our listeners and viewers know, though, as well, like, is there a moment or moments where you were just like, I, they're lying to me? Where was your eureka moment? I'm just curious. There were, there were, there were like huge eureka moments and there were little like, you know, pebbles dropping in the pond, making those ripples go. Um, I, I, there was definitely the eureka moment of, of having the moral clarity to sue the Trump campaign in 2017. But that is so interesting because that was a, a moment of clarity about all of the gaslighting and terrorism I had experienced on the campaign and that it wasn't my fault that I actually had the, um, had, the authority and I was in a position where I should challenge it legally, but it did not click that, oh my God, Donald Trump, this is his MO, this is the Republicans MO until I saw more and more of the destruction of the Trump administration. Um, you know, I've talked about this before. It probably started on day four with the Muslim ban because it was such a heinous, um, a hateful and and destructive act that he took. And I had thought, of course, we all heard that he announced it during the campaign. Some of the viewers might know I was engaged in diversity engagement. I was about bringing people under, um, you know, bringing more people into the fold and amplifying the diverse support for Trump in that campaign. So that was one of the things where I shut down my better angels. I didn't want to believe that he would actually do something so heinous as ban an entire religion or countries, you know, representing that religion from entering the United States, divide families and just the amount of pain and suffering that was caused by that. I made myself believe that that was a campaign shtick, and I did. I did. I would be lying if I if I didn't admit this. I had an ends justify the means attitude when I supported Trump because they so demonized the Democrats, they so demonized Hillary Clinton that I thought, you know what? These people are so dangerous. They're going to strip all our rights away. They're criminals. Hillary's a criminal because of her emails right? Crazy. And, and I, they were so, so demonized in my mind that I thought, okay, even, even like, you know, I've, I've talked about abortion on this platform before. I've always been pro-choice, even though I'm, I was Republican, I've always been pro-choice. So when, even when I saw him going really far down the abortion rabbit hole, I had an ends justify the means perspective about supporting him so that we prevented these much more dangerous people from taking power. Now, as I witnessed after I sued the, the Trump campaign, after I had that personal moral awakening, just to the behavior, not connecting it politically, just to the behavior being so heinous, when I witnessed the, the actions of the Trump campaign, the, the Muslim ban, the firing of James Comey where he couldn't even fly back on a plane from California, the treatment of people like, um, like Peter Strzok and um, 
blanket on his name here. Help me, the man who was denied his pension, um, who was uh, in the FBI. Starts with an A. <laughs> Maybe the chat can help me out here. But he's he's very active. Um, he was part of, he was a member of the FBI. Um, just the heinous, heinous way that, uh, that um, public servants were treated. And I went into that campaign delu delusional and ignorant, but with a spirit of public service. And I saw other people with a spirit of public service just trying to do their jobs. Andrew McCabe, thank you, chat, <laughs> Andrew McCabe. Other people just trying to do their jobs absolutely destroyed their lives destroyed, their families threatened. It's right back to what we're talking about today, Ben. This is disgusting. This intimidation, oppression, and obstruction has to stop. So I saw this pattern and I was like, oh my God, it, it was Trump all along. You know, I had given him a pass because I had personal interactions with Donald Trump where he was, and I've said this before too, where I took it as kindness. It was actually, he said some very misogynistic things to me, but I took it as kindness at the time because I was being treated so heinously by other staffers, senior level staffers in that campaign. And so I was reluctant to blame Donald Trump the man. But then with all of these other disgusting experiences, disgusting treatment of, of public servants. Marie Ivanovich, for God's sakes, she's going to go through some things. Do you know, Ben, how much that resonated with me after what I had experienced on the Trump campaign? She's going to go through some things. You better believe that was the attitude of the people who were terrorizing me on the Trump campaign to Jessica Denson. So um, I saw all of this and I realized this is the MO of this man who has been a malignant narcissist his whole life, who has been abusing people his whole life, terrorizing innocent people. I educated myself about things like the Central Park Five. I mean, I, I tell myself, and I want to believe this, that had I known about the existence of something so heinous as this, as Donald Trump calling for the, con the prosecution of these innocent young men, one of them who was charged as an adult, but was a juvenile and nearly was beaten to death in prison, Corey Wise. I mean, if I had known about these heinous, heinous things that Donald Trump did, I could have never supported him. So all of the pieces kind of just came together for me. And um, I think it was by 2018, but it was really, it was crumbs. It was crumbs and making the connections and then realizing how I've been lied to. And as I'm fighting this NDA and I'm learning all of these things, this NDA, we, we really believe that this is kind of a boilerplate um, non-disclosure agreement that Trump used for years, the one that I fought. And I realized this, these are the kind of tactics that he used for decades to keep people like me who believed that he was such a different person from knowing the truth about him. Why? Because the people with the truth were silenced, were intimidated, were gagged for life. So um, that's just a little bit into the insight. <laughs> no, I think it's really great to hear that insight. And it goes along a lot with our philosophy here at the Midas Touch Network because you know, when I'm trying to convince somebody who is in MAGA Republican echo chamber land of, hey, there is this pro-democracy community out there, it is not an effective tactic if I basically say, you know, Donald Trump's a deranged fascist and you are part of a cult. 
I, I don't do that. Um, very frequently, the way I will get attacked by people who are, you know, MAGA Republicans is they'll say things like, you know, you're just a libtard and you're a Hillary Clinton, you know, you're a Biden, blah, blah, blah. You're a communist and all of those things. And I never take the bait to then try to make it about a personality in those discussions. What I've found is when I just try to speak towards kind of core common values, I'm never going to convince somebody in that first conversation. It just, it's not the way it's going to work. They can't be uh, getting a diet of disinformation from Fox their entire life. And then in 30 seconds, I'm going to say something or even send them a video and they're going to go, you know what? I'm a Democrat. <laughs> I, I didn't know. I'm a Democrat. That's just not the way human nature actually works. So what I try to do is I let them say whatever they want to say, but then I try to focus it on issues that I know are issues being supported in the pro-democracy community, which are being either utterly ignored or that they are working against it in the MAGA Republicans. And I just speak to the ideas. So I talk about democracy. I talk about jobs. I talk about healthcare. I talk about the climate. I talk about education. I talk about veterans. I talk about uh, a woman having control over her body. I talk about equality and loving who you love without big government getting involved in it. And I talk to those topics because the reality is, is once we can start talking about topics, then in a few conversations, we can start getting into, well, you know, wh why is it that you know, the MAGA Republicans, they, they, they're running the House of Representatives. They, they haven't held a hearing on any of these. They haven't held a hearing on any of these things. Instead, they're sending congressional delegations to hang out with the January 6th insurrectionists to treat them like dignitaries. And like they're, they're talking about Mr. Potato Head and woke this and woke that, and they can't even define the word woke. And I mean, don't you really want to care about your job? Don't you care about improving your wages? So that's the overall framework within which I operate when I have those conversations. And frankly, it seems that what really appealed to you as well were ultimately the values that you had were not aligned with these values that you saw. You hoped that at the end of the day, because Democrats were so demonized and you thought they were valueless, you thought by temporarily supporting someone that was going to go against these like demonic forces that they've demonized and, and put out there, that ultimately the value set would be promoted, the ends justify the means, but ultimately it was contradictory to your values. I have a question for you though too, and I'm yeah. sorry for going on a rant. Um, you mentioned, or I mentioned Jennifer Little. So I yeah. did some digging on who Jennifer Little is, because there's not a lot of conversation about who Jennifer Little is. So this is Donald Trump's lawyer who was just compelled in federal court under the crime fraud exception to testify. So I just wanted to do some research on who she is. So this is a photo of her from 2012. Um, and so in this photo of her from 2012, she was just in a, uh, a DUI situation. Um, and she had provided uh, the police officers with an expired district attorney badge and tried to get out of it by basically saying that she was a DA, but it was an expired badge at the time that she was an attorney. So she rehabbed both literally and figuratively. 
and went on to have a pretty decent career as a lawyer practicing in Fulton County. Let me show you this new photo of her, though, on May 4th or May 3rd of 2022. This is Jennifer Little, you know, taking selfies uh, at Mar-a-Lago right around the time. As where, you do. <laughs> right around the time, though, that the Department of Justice subpoenaed Donald Trump for the documents that were being concealed at Mar-a-Lago. So she's there right in those dates when the when the DOJ subpoenaed the records. Remember then on June 3rd, there was a false attestation given to the Department of Justice saying that all documents were returned. But that photo dates her there on May 3rd or May 4th. But she's now seen Giuliani, Jenna Ellis, Alina Habba, Christina Bob. She's you've she's seen all of the failures, yet she put herself and and after she rehabbed, put back up the photo from 2012 of her after going through this experience, um, which went viral in 2012. No one's talking about this photo, but we found this photo of her. It was a big viral thing in Georgia in 2012. Um, because, you know, she was crying hysterically and trying to get out of it and showing her old DA card. But she progressed to get out of that. And boom, she put herself right back into the right back into a situation that was so destructive. And now she's like a judge is finding the crime fraud exception. Like, wh wh What do you think is the psychology there? You know, you, you when you show me that picture of her sitting at Mar-a-Lago and I think of how all this is like it's all just a party for them. It reminds me one of the one of the really misogynistic tropes that the Trump uh, campaign officials that I have named in my lawsuit leveled against me was that I was just there to have fun. I was either there committing federal crimes. I was I was there shopping bids to the media to try try to make millions of dollars. I didn't work, or I was there to have fun. All lies, all slander, but. On the same token, guess who was really there to have fun? People like Jennifer Little, not that she was on the Trump campaign in 2016, but it reminds me of the kind of people that Donald Trump attracts to, to work for him. People that are there just for the show, just for the appearance, just for the selfies at Mar-a-Lago. I mean, for God's sakes, this is a former president embroiled in multiple criminal investigations. You would think that she would have a little more awareness of, of her activities and just care to be, um, you know, walking a straight line for her client, but that's not the priority. The priority is the presentation. The priority is the party, the socialization. Um, it just really really gets you to what their priorities are. Um, and, and you as a lawyer, Ben, I think your priorities are probably aligned quite differently when you're representing clients. You know, the legal degree for me is such a, is such a privilege that I try to honor it every single day. You know, and, and even like the idea of like Jennifer Ellis, when she got censured for lying, and then as soon as she got censured publicly, say, calling her a liar and her admitting to a liar, then she goes out and basically lies about the stipulation that she's a liar. It, it's really humiliating to the profession that I, that I truly love and try to honor. And it's one of the things that Donald Trump has tried to and this goes back to your story, Jessica, so I'll throw it to you, to weaponize and pervert the law 
in ways that were never intended, which is why we have all of these unprecedented situations, because he's not just trying to pervert it. He's done that already, right? He's trying to destroy it. Because when you can destroy the legal foundation, and then you could kind of prop up this kind of kangaroo court where Rudy Giuliani's speeches with the hair dye dripping down his face in the Marriott lobby becomes the real hearing, not the ha 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 ha, look at that. In other countries, that type of stuff goes. And that's what Donald Trump wants to create here. And, and, and we have to push back about it. But you got a front row seat in Donald Trump weaponizing the law against you. You fought back against it. You as one person, you eventually built a, a legal team bit by bit, but, but you starting off as one person took on Trump's army and prevailed. That's unprecedented. And to me, we could study you. That's why I love the show Lights On, because you have a roadmap. I want to hear more about your roadmap, maybe with your NDA, which you went through. I'll toss it back to you. Yeah, we've talked a lot about how I started Pro Se, and that is true. And there are actions that I took on my own. Of course, we wouldn't be here today if I didn't step forward on my own. But you're right, Ben, I have, I have amassed step by step with each victory. And even starting with the losses, this this uh, small and then growing legal team, and they deserve so much credit too. But if we go back to when I was first hit with that $1.5 million arbitration demand on Christmas Eve in 2017 to try to shut down my lawsuit. I got a letter from Larry Rosen, Trump campaign attorney saying, oh, Miss Denson, why don't you just, we've already initiated this arbitration proceeding against you and you're now in the defensive posture. So why don't you just dismiss your lawsuit? Here's a voluntary dismissal. We've enclosed the form for your convenience. Just sign it and return and enter our bogus arbitration where we were, we're going to be proceeding against you and you can just assert your claims against us there too. <laughs> you think they thought it was going to work? <laughs> well, it didn't work. And I didn't step into that arbitration proceeding. And I started over the next few months as terrified as, as I was about this $1.5 million arbitration demand. Um, I started thinking about how to challenge this. And I thought this NDA, I didn't know all of the reasons why this NDA was illegal, but I started to think this, this weaponization of this NDA to shut down my lawsuit has, this cannot be legal. And so I started talking as I was trying to get lawyers, I'm still trying to get lawyers on my initial lawsuit. Now I'm in a defensive posture, but I'm trying to get lawyers to prosecute my case. And, um, you know, I talked to quite a few about why don't we sue to void this NDA? And Ben, do you know how many people laughed that idea out of the room and thought it was, they thought that was such a cute idea that I could sue to void Trump's NDA. They're like, oh, really? <laughs> That's cute. I, 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 I can only imagine, but, uh, but you, you resisted all that negativity. And, I pushed and forward. I pushed forward. I got some some pro bono help in in SDNY um, from a wonderful clinic they have there. It was and and I filed that first pro se NDA complaint and uh, pushed back. Um, you know, as I've talked about before, had that oral argument one on one with the Trump lawyers where I kept my case out of court. 
And then when I finally, almost a year after my initial lawsuit came and found my lawyers, we didn't get to just move forward with this. First thing we had to handle was a $50,000 judgment that they had succeeded in getting against me in that NDA arbitration. And I want to give so much, so much due credit to my two lawyers that I met just then, David Bowles and Mari Josephson, because they had faith in my case. They saw a path forward. I think this is so vital for all the people taking on Trump and all of the doubt and all of the fear that has been sown in, in taking on the lawlessness of this man, the hesitation to do this. And David Bowles and Mari Josephson had that courage to join me, even as I was under this this ominous um, $50,000 arbitration award that would then become a judgment. And they saw the light in the darkness. They saw a path forward to invalidating this NDA. They realized that it had legal merit and that it was a fight worth taking on. And they joined me when I was really at a low point. And um, we brought one class action and arbitration. We pushed forward. We got that $50,000 NDA thrown out of court. Mari Josephson argued that before the, the first department in New York. And you know, Ben, how rare it is to have an arbitration award uh, thrown out. But that was um, voided in its entirety. And that was the first NDA victory. I had the huge NDA victory in March of 2021, but this was a year prior. February of 2020, you know, Ben, the day that I learned that that, that judgment was um, vacated? What day was it? It was February 6th, 2020, literally the day after the quote unquote acquittal in a impeachment one. The darkest day precedes the dawn. I mean, that is that right. is how I felt in no uncertain way. Um, and then I I was joined by this extraordinary team who saw our victory in the first department from Protect Democracy. And, you know, we were talking about how those of us when you were talking about trying to talk to Trump supporters and bring them to the light, I was talking about how I kind of see windows into trying to help people. There have been so many people in our country trying to warn the f our fellow Americans. And one of who I consider to be one of the strongest and earliest voices on this is Ian Basson, who, who founded Protect Democracy, which is the legal advocacy group that then joined me to bring the final and current iteration of the class action to void, void the Trump NDAs. And, um, you know, there was a lot of doubt there too. My lawyer, John Langford, um, wonderful young lawyer who has made so much progress. He also happens to represent Ruby, um, Freeman and Shay uh, Moss in their defamation lawsuit against OAN and Rudy Giuliani and other right-wing outlets. Um, such a superstar, so much courage and insight on his part in joining me. And I know there were a lot of people in the legal community, even at that point, even with the progress that I had made through the courts, that still doubted that this NDA could ever be invalidated. Um, and we did it. <laughs> so, um, you know, massive credit to my whole team. Team, Joe Slaughter, um, Dave Schultz, another incredible First Amendment lawyer, um, Brittany Williams, Ann Tyndall. These, these are just some extraordinary, extraordinary people that I hope 
um, you know, some of the people watching today can know are fighting for democracy um, through the courts, showing that the legal system is effective. We do not have a kangaroo system like, um, you know, in countries like Belarus, like even the efforts in Israel right now where they're the far right administration of Benjamin Netanyahu is trying to remove the balance of power. And you see uh, Israelis flooding the streets in protest of this. Um, we have a legal system um, that we have to we have to keep we keep a watch on it and make sure it doesn't fall off the rails. But we have it and it has to be used. It is our safeguard. It is our protector and defender of democracy and freedom. And you always mentioned, and you like to mention on the show, the international scope. And one of the things is important is American leadership internationally, also the robustness of our institutions. And when other countries see our institutions under siege or our institutions vulnerable, that actually has an impact internationally on systems that are either based on ours or which were trained under ours or where America was a beacon of light in a world of authoritarianism. And that's how I want this country to remain. And there are a lot of forces against it. So uh, you mentioned at the top of the show, uh, the DeSantis regime uh, and their efforts to try to uh, stomp on uh, the truth uh, on our history. They use uh, kind of right out of the fascist handbook. You know, you, you demonize something by giving it a name. They don't know how to even define what it is, but it's woke this, woke that, stop the woke. We, we go where, this is where woke goes to die, you know, and, and it is this kind of authoritarianism, kind of dictatorial, uh, you know, things that we've seen in foreign countries right there in, in Florida, basically kind of carving itself out to look like this, you know, a, a bastion of authoritarianism. What's ultimately ironic, though, too, is that without the support of the federal government, I mean, Florida would be absolutely crippled and crushed. They need the federal government um, to, to, you know, to support everything that they do. So they kind of have the best of all worlds in a way, right? I mean, from the perspective of someone like DeSantis, which is just rely on the federal government to support you during all your emergencies, to bail you out, to give you infrastructure money because President Biden's the president of all America. President Biden doesn't do what Trump does when Trump was like, I'm not going to give emergency relief to California during the wildfires, right? I mean, when President Biden passes infrastructure, he gives infrastructure to the country, including Florida. And what does DeSantis do? He goes, ho, 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 uh, Merry Christmas, DeSantis Claus is here. He literally did that. He held DeSanta Claus press conferences with infrastructure money given by the federal government and then turned around and attacked Biden. You know, but that's a gimmick. That's a gimmick. And at the same time he does that crap, he then has his social war. So I know you want to talk about, you know, more of how this kind of wokeness attack on common sense is is really turning Florida into this dystopian society. 
It really is. I mean, DeSantis and and a lot of the Republicans are right on the heels of Trump. They are in lockstep with with this censorship. I mean, I fought Trump's censorship, let's be clear, via these illegal NDAs. This is not a free speech party. This is not a free speech platform. And uh, I think in 2022, Ben, the amount of attempts to ban books was doubled from the year prior. I think there's something like 1,269 attempts to ban books. Um, and, and ground zero for this flight, for this fight, of course, is Florida, where DeSantis's Stop Woke Act um, restricts lessons and training on race and diversity. It's really, like we were talking about earlier, just an attempt to not uh, let let people have empathy for one another to whitewash history, whitewash history of oppression. Why? So they can get away with it again. I mean, this banned books about Rosa Parks, Hank Aaron, Roberto Clemente. I mean, just ridiculous, ridiculous um, censorship. And there is a woman who I think is uh, my soul sister. I think she's going to be a lot of the viewers soul sister after they hear this clip too. And you know me, Ben, you know, I am, I am, I've had it with the Republicans hijacking the freedom platform and claiming that they have anything to do with freedom, that they are holding up the banner of freedom or protecting freedom. And this harkens back, this harkens back to uh, oppression in history, to the propaganda of, um, of the worst forces in our world and world in history. And nobody says it better than 100 year old Grace Lynn of Martin County. Uh, Salty, let's play the clip. I am a hundred years young. I'm here to pro protest our school's district book banning policy. My husband, Robert Nickel, was killed in action in World War II. At a very young age, he was only 26, defending our democracy, constitution, and freedoms. One of the freedoms that the Nazis crushed was the freedom to read the books they banned. They stopped the free press, banned and burned books. The freedom to read, which is protected by the First Amendment, is our essential right and duty of our democracy. Even so, it is continually under attack by both the public and private groups who think they hold the truth. In response to the book banning throughout our country and Martin County, last year, during the time I was 99, I have created this quilt to remind all of us that these few of so many more books that are banned or targeted need to be proudly displayed and protected. And read if you choose to. The quilt was shown on national TV as part of Ali Valshi's banned book club segment. Banned books and burning books are the same. Both are done for the same reason, fear of knowledge. Fear is not freedom. 
Fear is not liberty. Fear is control. My husband died as a father of freedom. I am a mother of liberty. Banned books need to be proudly displayed and protected from school boards like this. Thank you very much. Love her so much. I'm sorry, what did Nikki Haley say about um, age reflecting mental competency? I think that this woman is a resplendent, shining example of how mental competency has absolutely nothing to do with age. But so beautiful, this woman. I, this really just to me ties all in because this is all about oppression and those of us who are trying to fight back and warn our fellow Americans, our fellow citizens about history, about the threats we face right now that are repeating history if we don't put our foot down and handle them now. Um, we have to listen to each other. We're here for each other. We're not each other's enemies. So um, I'm so glad we got to shine a light on that wonderful woman at the end of this, this show and all of the other attempts at oppression that God willing, let us now address them and put a stop to this. Well, Jessica, we're marching to 1 million subscribers here in the month of March on the Midas Touch YouTube channel. So everybody, if you haven't subscribed to the Midas Touch YouTube channel, it's free to subscribe. So just hit the subscribe button right now on your YouTube. Make sure you're subscribed. And will you do us a favor? Will you share the Midas Touch Network YouTube channel with at least one friend, one coworker, or a colleague or a neighbor or somebody in your family? Your help would be greatly appreciated there. And if you're just watching this on YouTube, please do Jessica and I this favor. It's important. If you can subscribe to Lights On, on the audio podcast. So wherever you get your audio podcast, whatever you use, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Google or Stitcher, whatever service you use to listen to podcasts, we're on all of them. So search Lights On with Jessica Denson. Make sure you subscribe and leave a five-star review. That is very, very helpful for the algorithm. If you leave the five-star review, if you write a review, and if you subscribe on the audio as well. I also want to let everybody know uh, to help and contribute to Jessica Denson's fight and her legal fund. You can go to https colon slash slash. Man, I, I kind of date myself when I say that, huh? Go to the Jessica Denson.com slash donate. That's the Jessica Denson.com slash donate. T H E J E S S I C A D E N S O N dot com slash donate. And uh, you can contribute to Jessica Denson's legal fund there. Thank you so much, everybody, for watching and listening to this episode of Lights On. Jessica, you are a superstar. This show is incredible. I am so honored to get to be your sidekick on this show. Uh, I'm so grateful for you, for your fight for democracy, 
for your intelligence, for you just being an incredible person and getting to see you share that with the world is a total honor for me. This show Lights On is an absolute hit um, and it's because Jessica Denson, you are an incredibly special person and you're backed by the Midas Mighty movement out there of all the Midas Mighty members who watch and listen to the Midas Touch Network because none of this is possible without all of you listening and watching wherever you are getting this podcast. So until next time, I'm Ben Micellis joined by Jessica Denson. Jessica, you know how to sign us off. You all warm my heart so much. This has been Lights On. Jessica Denson signing off. Shout out to the Midas Mighty. (laughs) 